1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lizard Wellbeing Show, your weekly fix of great chat with industry leading experts, bringing you wellness wisdom you can trust. And today I'm delighted to be joined, we think it's the fourth time actually, by a very popular guest and a great friend of mine, Lucinda Miller. We're going to be talking about a small gland that plays a huge role in our health, the thyroid which is shaped like a little butterfly and it sits at the front of our neck and it regulates the hormones T3 and T4 or triodothyronine and thyroxine, which control our weight, our energy levels, our body temperature, skin, hair, nail growth, amongst other things. These hormones also help to regulate our heartbeat, breathing and metabolism. Now, according to the British Thyroid Foundation, it's believed that around one in 20 of us in the UK have a thyroid disorder, And the figure may be even higher, as there could be a number of us who remain undiagnosed. Although anyone can be affected, the disorders tend to affect mainly women. And it seems that dysfunctional thyroids are on the rise. And Lucinda has personal experience of such with her own condition. And of course, she is a leading naturopath and functional medicine practitioner and the clinical lead at the Nature Doc Clinic. Lucinda Miller, welcome back. Liz, it's great
2: to be back again. It's so lovely to see you.
1: Oh, uh, it really is. And do you know two things here? Firstly, the thyroid and hyperthyroidism and all of that, and thyroxine, these are common threads that I see time and time again on my social media. Whenever I do an Instagram Live, for example, and I'm talking about a supplement or some kind of practice, again and again, the questions come up from readers and listeners. I have a hyperthyroid, I take thyroxine, is this safe? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's clearly a big Problem for many, and I hadn't realized that it was an issue for you until I received one of your newsletters from the Nature Doc Clinic when you talk very openly about your own experience. Tell us about that
2: Yes, absolutely so both my mum and my aunt both had hypothyroid, and so I assumed it was going to happen to me, and so you know every five years or so I 'd have a blood test. And there's a one blood marker is called the thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH. And it's meant to be between 0.35 and four and a half in the UK. And mine always came back at about one, which is perfect. You know, it's like your thyroid is working absolutely how it should do. However, I was experiencing some low thyroid Symptoms, Um, things like getting cold all the time. I was always the one wearing about three jumpers and five pairs of socks and um, very fatigued, lots of brain fog. And, but, you know, I thought, well, it can't be thyroid, can it? It must be something else. And it was only slightly by surprise. Basically, what happened, I got sent a freebie private blood test to do. And I thought, well, I'll see what comes up with this. I haven't done my thyroid for a while. And it included some things called thyroid antibodies. And thyroid antibodies are essentially if your body has gone into an autoimmune mode and is fighting your thyroid. Um, And so it's very different from plain hypothyroid, but you can get the same symptoms. And they're lit up like a Christmas tree where these incredibly high thyroid antibodies. And I thought, really? oh my goodness, of course, this is exactly what's going on. And I was so shocked, actually, that And because they were so high, I thought I must have something significantly wrong with me. So I went straight to my GP and I said, heck, what's going on? And he goes, well, your TSH is normal. I can't do anything. You're joking. Really?
1: So you have all the symptoms and it had come up on a more intensive, more investigative blood test.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So she said, what I can do, which was great of her. She said, what I can do is I can send you for an ultrasound just to check there are no nodules or cancer or anything that's driving this. So, you know, that was great. I did that quite quickly and it came back normal. So that was a huge relief.
1: Yeah, but meanwhile, you you still have your symptoms.
2: Exactly. And she (sighs) said, well, I said, so you're thinking that probably, you know, in about 10 years time, once my TSH has gone right up, to above 4.5, you'll then do something.
1: She said, yes, that's right. I said, okay, thank you very much. That's appalling. I mean, so is this a test then that we need to get into mainstream medical hands? Yes. So this is not
2: run by GPs. So this is where we've got this problem and actually why I was so thrilled that you asked me to come on and talk about this because it's such an important subject is that, as I said, the doctors, the GP level will only test, they'll do something called T4, which is your thyroxin levels and your TSH. And they might do T3, but that's rare. So those are the ones they'll do. They won't do the antibodies. And the only reason you'll get the antibodies done is if you're sent to an endocrinologist. And you'll probably only get to an endocrinologist if you've got significant thyroid markers that are out of sync already. So it's one of those catch-22 situations where you probably won't get the referral you'll just accept that you've got you know these symptoms and your thyroid's normal so what's great is it's an incredibly easy blood test to do. There are ones that you can do privately. They don't cost very much. I think a whole thyroid panel, including all the markers I've mentioned, plus things like ferritin, which is your iron stores and B12 and folate and vitamin D. So all the sort of key nutrients that support your thyroid can be done for £85, £90, pounds, something like that. So Gosh, it's. Yeah. I know that's not available for everybody. And I know know, that would be a huge amount of money for lots of people. But in the grand scheme of
1: things, when it comes to private healthcare, it's not very much. And if it's going to help address your actual issue, because I know Mm -hmm. reading about thyroid, that the symptoms of having a thyroid that's out of whack can be quite vague, can they? You know, you talk about brain fog, crazy fatigue, histamine intolerance seems to come up, which I'd love to talk about, thinning Mm -hmm. hair, constipation, weight gain lack of energy, all of those things. And often it happens to midlife women. So it can be confused with menopausal symptoms, can't it?
2: Absolutely. So often you're quite cold rather than hot. So that's and often it can kick in a little bit earlier than maybe menopause. So That's one place you can differentiate. You can have both together. So you might be cold sometimes and they're boiling other times. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that can be tricky. But I would say that the first thing to note is when normally you could lose weight relatively easily. And now you can't, you know, it's just like, oh, my goodness, you know, I used to be able to just, you know, eat three sensible meals a day and I'd lose a couple of pounds and get back into my jeans. And now I just can't. Nice. And the number of women I know who would say they have to eat a really tiny amount to maintain their weight. You know much less than the typical diet. You know, they, they say these calorie deficits. You know, I'm eating so many less calories, than I'm exercising, and I'm hungry quite a lot, but I just mm. keep on putting on weight.
1: And that's the, that's what the thyroid's doing. Is it is the thyroid the heart of our or one of the hearts of our weight maintenance and regulation?
2: Yes, it's the centre of our metabolism and it sort of basically helps regulate. There's a thyroid receptor in every single cell in our body. So that's what's really important is that's why so many different symptoms occur. It's not just one thing. So it's when you feel systemically sort of just a bit meh and unwell. Um, and often people find that the morning is worse than the evening. So they wake up in the morning feeling absolutely exhausted and sort of, can't quite get their act together. And then maybe, you know, late afternoon, early evening, they say, oh, I feel normal again. And because they have those periods of time where they feel quite well during the day, they sort of feel they're a bit of a fraud. And maybe they haven't slept well enough or, you know, they've drunk too much coffee and I don't know, or had too much wine or something. And they don't realise that actually it's the thyroid. And the constipation can be actually quite painful and not nice at all. So that's a big, big sign as well. What I generally felt, and this is the only way I could describe it, it was if my spark plugs were not connecting properly. They weren't firing up my metabolism. And I felt I was having to put in an awful lot of measures to sort of get going in the morning. And, you know, I reverted to things like chocolate, um, lots of caffeine, just because I just couldn't get that sort of spark plug going and getting fired up. And it was one of the things that when I started with the nutrition side of things, I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not having to put in all the scaffolding in my life to help me through the mornings. And it was just like I'd come out of clinic at the end of the day, just absolutely spent, you know, I'd sort of be a zombie with my husband. So I could just do it because I work hard, I'm diligent. But, you know, I'd be going, oh, my goodness. And, you know, whereas now, I can finish a clinic and go, Oh yeah, I'll go and play some tennis or I'll go and do wow. some yoga or <laughs> yeah. you know, or, or whatever. Amazing. Or cook supper with but it's yeah. cooking it's doing all these things with joy. And yes. I think that's the difference, is rather than feeling like you're sort of trugging through treacle, you're doing things with that sort of natural energy. You feel your cells are actually connecting. And you you're very passionate about vitamin D. Yes, and you know again, the only two things that are in every single cell in the body as such in terms of receptors are vitamin D receptors and thyroid receptors and there 's a lot of research that 's been done that if you optimize your vitamin D, that will in some part
1: help with your thyroid health interesting now, you yeah. have an autoimmune condition called hashimoto 's yes. thyroiditis. Mm-hmm. I hear mm-hmm. this word Hashimoto in relation to to thyroid issues being used what is it and what's the difference between having a thyroid issue and and actually having Hashimoto's?
2: So most people who have a thyroid issue will have something called hyperthyroid which is a low thyroid function which means everything's got become very sluggish so that's where the you know the low energy the sluggish brain the sluggish bowel the cold etc and then you've got a small percentage of people will get something called hyperthyroid where they're Thyroid just goes super, super fast and they get very jittery and probably don't sleep and very wired. And then you've got this, you've actually got two different autoimmune conditions. One's called Graves, which is more the hyper side. And then this more Hashimoto's, which is more mimicking the low thyroid symptoms. But everyone's slightly different. And essentially what it is, it's an autoimmune condition, which means the body is fighting the thyroid tissue. And that is in response to various things. And one food that has been identified as a key trigger is something called gluten. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people find that when they have an autoimmune thyroid condition, that they take gluten out of their diet and they feel so much better, super fast. Because in fact, what's been thought is that the gluten proteins are very similar to that of thyroid tissue.
1: That's fascinating. So if anybody listening to this has symptoms, doing an experiment with taking gluten out could be one way to help self-diagnose potentially.
2: Yes. And I think some people feel better within days. So you don't need to do it for that long. Some people do need a full six weeks exclusion to really see the difference. But very often, and you know, I find it very hard to stick to these super strict diets. For a while, I had to. And I did go quite grain-free as well, because I found that even more helpful. I just found even you know corn, pasta and things like that weren't working that well for me. But that was a personal thing. But I generally found that taking the gluten out made a massive difference. But now, because I've worked so hard on my system, I am able to eat some gluten. So what's great is when you go to a party or you're out, you don't have to worry so much about yes. it. It's, not, it's extreme as it's something like celiac, but some people do have a significant sensitivity to begin with.
1: That's absolutely fascinating. Would And would a GP be aware of this? Is this something that a, a general practitioner would know about?
2: They probably wouldn't. There's amazing research. There's a guy called Fasano who has written lots of papers on the link between autoimmunity and gluten. Uh, he's an American guy. He's an amazing doctor, an amazing researcher. Over here, they would probably, if you asked, they would probably do a celiac test, which is important to do because that's another autoimmune Condition and so actually very often people don't have one autoimmune condition; they have many. So I also have, even though it's super mild and I've got it really under control, something called osteopenia, which is where it's the beginnings of osteoporosis. Yeah. So like you, I eat an awful lot of full fat, you know, yogurt and chia seeds and things like that to sort Mm -hmm. of help with that, and lots of vitamin D. But so there's very rarely. Well, should I say very often you will have more than one autoimmune condition that maybe you know more bubbling away. Really, and the reason for that is that there are genetics that play a role, and so most people that acquire some sort of autoimmune skew will spot it in the family. And there there are so many autoimmune diseases. There's everything from MS to celiac disease to you know these thyroid conditions. You know, it's so many conditions we've all heard of, like lupus, etc. So that probably will be in the family somewhere. Even if they might not have known it was an actual autoimmune disease, there may be you know, hints that that's been occurring in mother's family history or grandmothers or whatever. And then you need that. And then you need something called gut permeability, which is also known as leaky gut. And if you have the genetics and the leaky gut together, then that is more likely to develop that autoimmune condition. And what can cause leaky gut? Things like viruses, bacterial infections, parasitic infections, and so forth. So my history is that I went backpacking after university and I picked up a, an amoeba called Jardia, which is a really nasty parasite. Much and like I think Lily. That, exactly. <laughs> much like my much Lily. Like Lily, yep. who I know exactly. you've treated before. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that was the start, even though it was, you know, it was years before I actually got the symptoms. And then, you know, just I think the gluten was never my friend. It always made me feel quite tired. I knew that. So there were sort of various things in the gut, but I've worked really, really hard on the gut over the last year because I had COVID and I was not properly long COVID, but I didn't feel quite right afterwards. I had a lot and I could feel my autoimmunity really ramping up all the symptoms. So I've had to do lots of work over the last couple of years. Years to get that really right. And the gut work was the thing that really, really was the game changer. And we all say as naturopaths, you know, all health conditions start in the gut. And so I listened to that and I, I did what I preached. I practiced what I preached and I did it. And so I did lots of antimicrobials, got the probiotics into gut healers, and that made a massive difference. So that's really key. But when starting out, some people just think, oh gosh, that sounds complicated. I'm not sure if I can start with that. So what a lot of people do is to turn to some basic nutrients that can that has a huge amount of evidence that can reduce your thyroid antibodies. Because the thyroid antibodies is basically where the higher the level is, the more activity of autoimmunity is going on. And so if it's high, you want to try and dial it down and try and reduce the antibodies. So Emma Davis, who you interviewed yes, in my team, indeed. Mm. she used to have her antibodies in the thousands and she was bedridden for a couple of years when, in her younger years with Hashimoto's. And she's now got her antibodies down to zero and has done for a number of years. Really? So she's one of our really inspirational thyroid yes. specialists. And how has she done um, and, that? And, and, Oh, she's done it through diet, etc. Because right. you know, again, there was not much medical help, and this is the problem. When it's autoimmune, there's not much medical help, unless the TSH is high, and then of course they'll put you on levothyroxine to reduce that down, and which will help to some degree, but it's not everything, and that's why I'm so passionate about it, getting the nutrition right. Because yeah, I, you know, you can't run on empty forever because other things crop up if you are always running mm-hmm. on empty. And your thyroid's not working.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the histamine response and what histamine has to do with all of this? I know our last podcast actually, we talked a lot about histamine and I think you were the one who put me onto quercetin, which for which I am forever thankful because it's really saved, saved me during hay fever season and, and helping with my own histamine response. What is the link there with somebody with a thyroid issue?
2: Well, first of all, quercetin is pure gold. I just think it's one of yes. the most magical supplements in the world, mm-hmm. and I, without it, I would be in bits. So, like you, it is you know my go-to. But going back, so basically, our immune system works in a. This is part of the immune system. Obviously, we have a very complex immune system, but there's a sort of line of immunity where you start with something called. TH1 dominance and TH1 dominance is the normal immune system that we're all used to having, which means that you fight infection really well and you don't develop any kind of allergies or any kind of sensitivities to food or the environment. And then there's this TH2 dominance and this is obviously a spectrum and the more you go towards Th2 dominance, you become more allergic, more atopic. So you have more likely to be more eczema, asthma, allergies, hay fever, etc. So more reactive than the environment. And it could be anything from hives to just little itchy eyes to headaches to pots where you can't regulate your blood pressure. So it's massive. And then you don't fight infections effectively. So with a virus, for instance, you could... Uh, not get the temperature. You could sort of just feel incredibly tired for weeks rather than get the actual illness. It's almost like the body doesn't quite know what to do with the viruses or the bacterial infections. And they can pile up in the system and and get sort of more and more intense and cause more problems over the time. So interestingly, COVID has, is quite a big trigger, we feel, for Hashimoto's and autoimmune thyroid. But what's very interesting is there's another virus that everyone needs to know about called Epstein-Barr virus. Mm. And that's the glandular fever virus. And it can lay dormant in the system and can be a trigger for autoimmunity, especially thyroid.
1: How then would you go about treating that? What would your first steps be? Take gluten out of your diet? Start so you taking quercetin? Out.
2: Question is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Also to work on, on the virus, if there's a virus. So things like lovely elderberry and olive leaf extract and something called monolaurin, which is an amazing coconut-derived antiviral. So there are natural antivirals to bring that down. So if you think, you know, I just feel like I've got this sore throat all the time, my glands are up, but I'm not actually getting ill, ill. I'm just low grade. That could be part of it. So there's a real mixture of, of triggers for the Hashimotos, and I think, you know, as I said, it can be viral load, it can be gut microbiome, it can be a lack of nutrients, so that's just what, something I wanted to share with you, because it's something you can do quite easily. So the key nutrient that seems to be really helpful at bringing down thyroid antibody activity is something called selenium, And selenium is, is a mineral. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing mineral, and the key food that you can get it in is Brazil nuts. So I have two a, a day. Of, well done, absolutely. <laughs> For that so that's very it's going to be between Between yeah. two and four a day. But what's really interesting is we do in the clinic run these hair tests, which would assess someone's mineral status. And selenium is almost always low, and I have a feeling that the UK is a particularly selenium deprived soil you know the food that's grown in our country for some reason is quite lacking in selenium whereas in other countries it might be iodine or you know an uh, or another another mineral or vitamin or whatever but it seems to be selenium i would say if we ran 100 hair tests 95 would be low in selenium That's just extraordinary. And I remember mm. actually,
1: you mentioned the word iodine there and and deficiency. I was talking to Dr. Seaweed about iodine. And of course, seaweed is a hugely rich source of iodine. And they have these amazing capsules, which is literally just ground up seaweed. So it's just a food. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that the number of customers who report as soon as they start taking just one a day of the seaweed capsules, immediately start to have more energy and their hair improves. And he said there've been studies done that show exactly that, that the UK particularly is so low. Our soil is so intensively farmed and depleted with selenium and iodine. And it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the rise in autoimmune issues. It, It just seems astonishing that we are living with these ever increasing systemic, vague, Uh, you know, almost undiagnosable, untreatable illnesses caused through nutritional deficiencies.
2: Absolutely. You have to be a little bit careful with Hashimoto's and iodine. Yes. And some respond incredibly well to it and others don't and actually can exacerbate the symptoms. So you just have to be a little careful. So that's why I thought I'd talk more about selenium, which seems to be much safer. And there's proper studies showing that it really can reduce... Thyroid antibodies. We had an au pair a very long time ago, and she was unable to get into the German police force because of her thyroid antibodies being raised. Because over there, they naturally check these as part of the normal medical tests. And I didn't suggest the gluten free at the time. I just thought that was going to be too hard. She was quite young, and it just her brain wasn't around it. But I just got her on selenium while she was staying with us, Mm -hmm. and she went back, and her thyroid antibodies were back to normal. Really? Yeah, just one intervention, which is pretty, pretty. I mean, she was 19 years old, but pretty, pretty amazing. So she was able to. Yeah, yeah, really exciting. So that was great, so I have sort of seen you know close friend experience that as well as obviously in the clinic so selenium 's super important. another really important nutrient for any kind of thyroid condition is getting enough iron in the system, and so many women, as you know, are very low in their iron levels, so it 's getting your ferritin levels, which are the iron stores up to a decent level so over 50 ideally over 70 and most women are going around with under 27 which is <gasps> you know especially if they're menstruating and so forth. Gosh, so yeah that so is iron in itself is really really
1: important. So um, iron impacts the thyroid. I mean I always associate iron as energy and giving us strength and vitality but presumably a lot of that's coming because of the way it impacts on the thyroid.
2: Absolutely. So iron is a very, very important nutrient for building the T4, which is the sort of thyroxine side of things. And that is, you know, we, if it's a bit low and they haven't done the iron test, then we can probably say that, yeah, you do well with a bit more iron. So iron's super important. Another one, which was a game changer for me. This. Was such a tiny study. It was a study of three women. So this was sort of <laughs> okay. slightly statistically add on the line. not so this very was significant. <laughs> like, no, but what happened was I ran some tests and my vitamin B one levels were relatively low, and which, I thought which is B one. B one is uh, thiamine. Thiamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and really interesting. And anyway, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try it but I you know and I looked at the study and they were taking 600 milligrams which is a heck of a lot so I couldn't actually find a 600 milligram one so I found a 500 milligram one so I thought oh, let's start with that and literally that day I felt my spark plugs kicking in and I That's thought oh my goodness this is astonishing and literally over the next week and within two weeks I'd signed up to do a triathlon having <gasps> been the floppiest you know most Brilliant. exhausted person ever yeah So, and you put that down to your B1. Absolutely. And then it was really interesting going back because B1 really helps with things like really inflamed insect bites, you know, when you get that really bad reaction to insect bites. And I've always, always had that. I once got bitten something like 120 times by sandflies. you know, my whole ankles blew up when I was pregnant with my eldest. So I couldn't do anything about it other than man it out. And yeah, and I literally, and I was getting, you know, even in the Isle of Wight, these little insect bites, and they were blowing up and my ankles were blowing up. And for the last two summers, I haven't had a single peep, you know, get the bite and it's just literally And it goes away.
1: Well, do you know as somebody who really suffers, I was hoping that the quercetin would also help with the histamine response. But what would be the impact of of somebody just deciding to take high doses of B one? Is there anything that we would need to be aware of with that?
2: So I looked into this because of course I was concerned and I wouldn't be saying this in public unless I was really sure and amazingly B1 there's no contraindication of taking too much you literally will pee it out if you take too much so that was really comforting you know because I thought there might be some side effect from taking high strength for a long Mm. time but you know most the time if you buy it in the shops it would be you know 50 milligrams or a hundred but not not as strong as the one I was taking but I reckon even you know Taking a low dose one would make a difference, probably. If you are you could play really, around with really it, really exhausted,
1: mm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, somebody going off on holiday susceptible to insect bites, maybe take a, a fifty milligram or a hundred milligram B1 supplement with you, and just mm. adjust it. You know, you can you yeah. can up it uh, according to how bad the reaction would be. It'd be very interesting. I'd love to get some feedback on that. If anybody decides to do that who's listening, do, do write in and let us know because it'd be nice to increase the, the circle of testing from uh, more than three. Yes, uh, absolutely. It's just one of those, you know, you know, you know. (laughs) That's
2: why I had to be really open and honest about it, because it wasn't like it was a mega study. But really interesting. B one is also very important for blood sugar balance, and that's something that again is super important with Hashimoto's. Is a lot of people find they have very poor sugar balancing. So I'd have this almighty energy dip after eating any meal. And even if I got it really right as such, you know, getting high protein, high fat, I'd still feel pretty sort of, you know, it would take time for my body to adjust to the food. And sometimes I just skip a meal because it was easier. I thought I've got more energy if I don't eat, which is not right in the long term. It was just, you know, um, just because I couldn't afford to feel that tired. But that's really helped too. So it's amazing what can be done. And I just want to, sort of, I guess my message to everybody is to say, you know, if you have got these symptoms, there are things that you can do. You might not get your doctor's support, but that's okay, because these are vitamins and minerals and dietary changes that you can, you know, you can do yourself. And I think, you know, some things might not work. You know, there's masses of research out there. It's just finding the right things for you. And that's where I Decent practitioner, so someone who really is well versed in Hashimoto's can make a massive difference because they can sort of tell you exactly what you need. And yeah, and people don't need to feel like this all the time. I think that's what's important. And I, I wouldn't have believed that four or five years ago. I'd have thought, you know, I'm always going to be struggling with my energy. But you know, we've just had four days at Glastonbury, and I'm feeling <laughs> great today. You know, uh, and
1: fantastic. It was pretty, pretty yeah. tiring.
2: So I, it's just one of those things. It's important for people to. Really that it's a bit of a journey, it's not an instant thing and over time you get there.
1: Well we're going to pause for a quick ad break now and when we come back we'll be talking some more about gut health in particular and how that might work for you if you have a dysfunctional thyroid. So Lucinda, welcome back. We've spoken a lot in the first part about the diagnosis, the blood tests, what the thyroid is, what it's doing, talking about some of the nutritional supplements that can help. Why do you think it is that we are hearing and seeing more about thyroid disorders at the moment? Is I see this in my community. Are you seeing this more at Nature Dog?
2: Yes, I think we're seeing a huge number of women. I mean, luckily, we have some really top thyroid specialists in the team, so they really get it. So I think people are probably drawn to us because of that expertise. So it's difficult to know if it's a general issue or whether it's just that people are magnetised to our clinic. But I think that, as I said, the low selenium we've been talking about, the fact that people's gut microbiomes are now out of sync and Gut health is generally not as strong or robust as it used to be. I think that must play a role. One of the key signs when you get Hashimoto's is is very easily prone to reflux, to acid reflux. And so that's one of the primary complaints that people will come to us with. And we'll go, oh, you've got this and it's been going for a long time. And you've got this and you've got that. Let's try check your thyroid as well as just looking at your gut. And it's really interesting. A lot of women would find, or men as well, find that once they improve their stomach acid balance, so they help to optimize the stomach acid and they optimize their digestion, they can make a massive difference. So we talked about gluten, but so basically when we chew our food and we smell our food, it kickstarts our digestive juices. We all know that instinctively. And. So, one area which, again, some doctors would not necessarily agree with, it's not the way they've been trained. But so we all think that everyone's got too much acid in their stomach. But in fact, a lot of people, especially those with the autoimmune skew, have a low stomach acid, which means they're not producing enough hydrochloric acid in their stomach to break down protein. And this Can mimic the same symptoms as too much acid, so there can be reflux, acid belching, burping, sort of quite sort of feeling of indigestion, quite high up, sort of between your breastbone, so behind the breastbone, and sort upper gastric symptoms. And a very simple test. This is not definitive. It is not a medical test, but it's just a good guideline anyone can do. And I just want to share this with you because it's so easy. You take a small spoon of bicarbonate of soda and you put it in a glass of water. Now, if you know, remember anything about chemistry at school, if you put acid and bicarb together, it causes bubbles and gas. So if you think about it, if you've got enough stomach acid in your stomach and then you drink down some bicarb, in theory, there should be a chemical reaction and you should start belching for Britain, you should be burping and, you know, within two minutes, it should be out there. Okay, And yeah, but people with low stomach acid, and as I said, this is not definitive, it's not a medical test, but it's just a good guideline. If they are still no reaction, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, 45 minutes, not at all, then it's likely that that they have a low stomach acid and we need to rev up that hydrochloric acid. And the great thing is it's easy. Things like lemon juice, apple cider vinegar. So many people say they benefit from drinking apple cider vinegar. And one of the reasons is because of this. And also chewing on bitter leaves. So things like rocket and chicory and so forth in a meal can really help to stimulate that hydrochloric acid. And then what happens is then... Once that is digesting properly, in theory, you're meant to send a signal to your pancreas to produce all these wonderful enzymes to break down the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats sufficiently. But again, if you have low stomach acid, that signal doesn't always happen. So you get poor digestion problems further down. And that is partially why people become constipated, because there's no gastric juices sort of getting everything going and sending signals further down to then get the peristalsis going and getting the poo out. So that's where we work a lot on that upper stomach acid and the chewing and the smelling of food and it's why things like ultra processed convenience foods that you buy in the shops you just open the packet and eat like you know a sandwich from a petrol station or something you're not going to be firing up any gastric juices whereas if you're cooking soup at home or stew or you're getting smells around the kitchen and that signals about 25% of your gastric juices
1: fascinating gosh and I'm definitely going to try the bicarbonate of soda test and get my kids to as well Uh, they'll they'll think it's fantastic fun and time the burping around the table and then apple cider vinegar that's again something that's being talked about a lot as having what a tablespoon in some water before each meal is that the sort of thing that you'd recommend it really depends on what
2: you can tolerate. I start with half a teaspoon and build up because some sometimes, oh, sometimes that's all they need, yeah, but some people do need a tablespoon it really one tip I have for anyone who does this is some people are very worried about their tooth enamel, yes. whether you know the acid is going to wear away their tooth enamel, and one tip which I learned relatively recently which i've been doing because I drink. I've always drunk sort of lemon and apple cider vinegar in the morning to kickstart my system, get my digestion going. It's one of the best ways to get everything moving. And so my husband used to always say, drink it out of a straw, because then it goes straight to the back of the mouth. And And I thought, yeah, I can do that. But another thing was to have some olive oil. So you put a little bit of olive oil in your mouth and swish it around and then drink it down. And of course, that coats your teeth. So less of the acid is getting through. And that, again, helps with the liver and it helps, you know, with all the dry skin that a lot of people experience with Thyroid conditions.
1: My goodness, I'm going to add that to my list. Okay, so in the bathroom now, I'm going to have to have lined up my bottle of extra virgin olive oil, <laughs> quick teaspoon of that, swish it around and then swallow because obviously you've got your polyphenols and all your gut protective yep. probiotic goodness from that and prebiotic goodness. And then I have my half teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, either neat or, or in, in some water. Does it matter really?
2: I think it's better in water. I think meat's mm-hmm. quite strong, especially yeah. first thing in the morning.
1: <laughs> and then clean teeth or maybe yeah. clean teeth first. I don't know, maybe. No, Is
2: clean it... teeth afterwards. I definitely would do that.
1: You afterwards. would Because you've got the yeah. olive oil coating and of course, tongue scraping, which I've talked about here before as being such a fantastic thing to do first thing in the morning. Are you a, a fan of tongue scraping? I think
2: it's just brilliant. Absolutely amazing. It, it makes you feel so is fresh changer. and clean. Is,
1: mm. Yeah. Anybody out there has not mm. yet been scraping their tongue first thing. <laughs> it's such a simple thing and it's so satisfying and it's so good. And presumably yeah. we're, we're getting rid of, we're scraping off a lot of the debris and detritus that gathers overnight from the gut and from the bits that the body's trying to get rid of. Because do you do tongue analysis as part of your naturopathic work?
2: Yes, we do. And it's quite easy to do it over video as well. So we've been able to do that over the last couple of years as well. And, and you can see congestion in the gut. It's usually little spots or at the back of the mouth on the back of the tongue. And that shows us congestion, which is often constipation or a dysbiosis where you've got too much of the bad bacteria and not enough of the good. And then if it's very white, the tongue, then it's often yeast overgrowth. So sort of a candida picture, which again is very prevalent in people with autoimmunity.
1: Is it really? And why is it mm. that these conditions seem to affect more women? Is, is there a strong oestrogen connection? Is it something that also crops up during the 40s, perimenopause, lowering oestrogen levels?
2: I think there probably is. I don't know the precise mechanisms, I'm going to be honest. But I think that the other thing which I think is really interesting, this is not from a medical perspective, but from more on an emotional side, is that I've always been taught that women that have thorough conditions are often not meeting their sort of true vocation. So they've often put other people in front of them. So because they're a mother, they're always doing things for their children before themselves. So if there's, I don't know, one banana left in the in the fruit bowl, they'll give it to their children rather than themselves. And I think that's just a very natural instinct as a mother to continue to do that, put everyone before them, they're not good enough, everyone else is better than them, etc. And that's one of the reasons it is thought that more women develop thyroid conditions because from an emotional perspective, it's sort of as if they're being held back.
1: Interesting. I have heard it said actually, that the psychological symptoms uh, are often the invisible symptoms, if you like, that really aren't properly understood when it comes to issues like thyroid disorders.
2: Mm, mm. I think a lot of women would probably come across, they would probably sigh and be quite tired, quite slow, um, and sort of, you know, not as vibrant as they used to be. And I think that could be, you know, their brain being slow and feeling a bit low, really, I think.
1: It's so hard, isn't it, to unravel exactly what's at the root of all this, because we do have a much greater awareness of perimenopause, menopause, lowering estrogen, impacting tiredness, causing anxiety, depression, even things like hair loss. And then we talk now today about thyroid issues and a lot of the symptoms being incredibly similar. And then the whole issue of autoimmune issues and stemming often from a gut imbalance. You talk about your issues with Jardia when you were on a gap year, you know, decades ago. And Mm. then coming back to have an impact on your life, you know, literally decades later in your 40s and all these things being connected. I mean, thank goodness we have people like you who can help us to unravel what seems like an incredibly tangled ball of string, really.
2: It is a tangle ball of string. And I think, you know, it's important to read all about it, read plenty of books, listen to podcasts, you know, and indeed get some proper tests done so you really understand what's going on inside. Because it's hard to second guess, you know, and the number of people, you know, you, you know you're know you supporting already and then they read something in a book, they should should I be doing this too? And should I be doing that? And you mm. think, well, actually... Potentially, but it hasn't come up in your tests, and you're doing so much already, you know ease up, you know, give yourself a mm. bit of slack on that one. And yeah, and are you feeling better? Yes, I am. That's most important.
1: Indeed. Well, what I love about your advice is a lot of it is incredibly practical. And we can put it into practice without going to see a medical practitioner, be that a complimentary practitioner or a GP. So for example, gut health, you know, plain live yogurt, have some kefir, have some kimchi. If we're looking at supplements, you know, look at B1, eat a couple of Brazil nuts every day for your selenium, consider iodine and your relationship with that. You know, these are all practical things that all of us can do that aren't going to have an impact on anything else necessarily, but could actually give us, you know, stop eating gluten, you know, try it, try it for a few weeks and see what happens.
2: Absolutely. And I would say with the gluten-free is try not to go straight to the gluten-free aisle in the supermarket because those foods are very, very high glycemic foods that impact on the blood sugar. So you might not feel that good on them. So it's best to think, okay, I'm going to have eggs and avocado for breakfast rather than or a really good oat, you know, gluten-free oat granola or something, rather and some yogurt, yeah. rather than trying to go and buy all these gluten-free products and to just think, well, you know, at lunch I could have some quinoa or some rice and some salmon and some salad or a big soup or something, rather than thinking yes. bread, bread, bread.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And they tend to be so overprocessed and ultra processed foods you know the amount of ingredients i see listed on these so-called free from foods you know gluten free and often very high in sugars so you're spiking your insulin aren't you and not doing Mm. your gut any favors which is of course the whole point of it that we're trying to rest the gut and of course throwing in that bit of apple cider vinegar in the morning as well or throughout the day i think you know hugely hugely helpful can you remind us the name of the blood test that you talked about right back at the beginning if we wanted to go and find that i I suspect a lot of people will be thinking this sounds so interesting on many levels just to get a baseline check here.
2: Yes, so our favourite lab, which anyone can access, is called MediChex. And they have a fabulous website and they can send you the test to do at home or they can have a nurse come to your home, or you can go to a local nurse. So it's such a wonderful setup. So really, you know, if you're a bit squeamish and you feel I can't do it at home, you know, they will come and do it for you. Or as I said, you can go to them. So they're very, very good and very reasonable.
1: Medi-checks. I'll make sure that we put links to that in our notes. That sounds really fantastically helpful. Thank you.
2: No, it's super helpful. And then when you do see a practitioner, if you have got markers that don't seem quite right, you then have that information to give them when you come to your first consultation. Mm. So you can really get going yes. rather than okay, okay, it sounds like this, let's get you to do the blood yep. test. If yep. you come with a blood test, it's, it's really
1: helpful. And then there are organisations, aren't there, like the British Thyroid Foundation, for example. How helpful do you find organisations like that with some of what sounds like fairly complementary slash cutting edge nutritional, biochemical treatments, are they quite open-minded to things like that and and helpful or is it more traditional?
2: It really depends. And I think it really is a personal experience and it depends. I think it's good to contact them and see if there is any support they can provide, but often on the emotional level rather than on the sort of nutritional level, I'd say Mm -hmm. as a general overview.
1: Interesting. So offering a different different part of the support perhaps that can be helpful for people. Mm-hmm. And how do we find you, Lucinda? I think a lot of people are going to want to be looking you up and stalking you across your social media platforms, <laughs> <laughs> as I do. So,
2: <laughs> so Instagram, I am nature.kids, and then our website is uk. We also have an online shop, Nature Doc shop.
1: It's a brilliant shop. I buy a lot from your shop, should I just say.
2: I know, you, thank you for being a frequent... Yes, I Um, do need my
1: my loyalty card with you, I think.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you do. And uh, yeah, so we stock all the quercetins and irons and B1s and things like that. Yeah. And we do a newsletter. I I write a newsletter every Sunday, which you mentioned earlier, which we absolutely Mm. love doing. And there's always a new recipe. There's always a health tip, which is often a blog. And then we do a sort of star ingredient of the week to sort of get people inspired to put more interesting things in their shopping trolleys.
1: That's brilliant. It really is. I wish you huge, huge good luck with it. And thank you so much for sharing your own thyroid journey, as well as passing on so much good information to others who may well be affected. Thank you so much.
2: Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Indeed, the next time. Thank you. So brilliant as always, I have to say, I learn so much. I sit here recording the podcast with a pen and paper and go back and listen and re-listen. I shall definitely be looking at medi checks and more, and I'll make sure that we put all the links to these things in our podcast notes. Well, if you can relate to anything that we've talked about, or if you are simply enjoying the podcast and you'd like to get in touch, you can find me to leave a comment or a question on all the usual social media channels. I am at Liz Earle Me, or you can contact the team at Liz Earle Wellbeing. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Do leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. It really does help other people to find us. You have no idea the comments and letters that we get from people who are so grateful to have heard something close to them being discussed and helpful solutions offered. Well, I'll be back with you next Friday for another Dose of wellness wisdom you can trust. Until then, go very well. Bye-bye. The well Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lazelle, and is a fresh air production. With grateful thanks to my producers Ellie Smith, Chesie Bent, and Sarah Moore. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.